0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this week's episode we'll be talking about product management and moving from a big financial firm to a small lean startup. We'll find out how you can use AI to improve project management processes, and why explainability in AI is so important. We'll also ask, is it really true that being a product manager is just like being a football manager? Is it really possible that I could be the most inspirational business figure that our guests can think of? For answers to all these questions and more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Mark Graham, Product Manager at Shark Tower, based up in Edinburgh. Great company name. How are you doing, Mark?
1: I'm very well, Jason. Good evening. Uh, I'm good, thank you.
0: Excellent. So, you uh, are Product Manager in Shark Tower, as I say. I've obviously I had a bit of a scout round on Shark Tower's site, but what problem do you solve at Shark Tower and and, and how do you solve it? So,
1: yeah, I guess the name comes from uh, a shark there at a beach, which essentially spots danger on the horizon. Our AI-driven software tries to do the same job for project delivery. So we're trying to spot problems before they happen.
0: And when you say project delivery, I mean, is that across like all types of project? Because obviously we're talk- if we're thinking project, there's the kind of, Traditional kind of project management, sort of Gantt charts and, and and stage gates and stuff, and then all the way through to kind of sort of now next later agile delivery and stuff like that. Like, is it purely geared towards the former and kind of resource management and all the kind of classic project management stuff, or does it also have a kind of a space to play in the more kind of agile tech product type space as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, the former and the latter, really. The software is capable to help with both waterfall, agile. And we're really focusing on any companies that are trying to deliver change, but potentially using really old ways of trying to do so. So they're still on Excel spreadsheets. They're still using post-its. Yet you find that there's a lot of projects who are trying to deliver millions of pounds of change, but they're using really huh. archaic ways of trying to do so.
0: Access database or something like that.
1: Exactly. So that, that's what we're trying to do. And we're trying to bring in this software to find... The future of change and help project delivery and projects deliver on time as well.
0: Right. So, but you're like, do you have like a main target market? I know you say that you can kind of cover different angles depending on the use case, and I'm sure your tool is very flexible, but do you like have a, a kind of a target market? So, we're
1: looking at uh, small to medium enterprise companies who could be within the, the financial services industry or energy. Marketing, really anyone who's delivered and change within within those size of companies, really.
0: Okay, so you're, but I guess what that means is you're you, you're more. It feels like that's more geared towards the kind of replacing like Excel or MS Project or stuff like that, versus being like a competitor to PodPad or something like that.
1: So our biggest competitors or the, the companies we align to are are people like Reich, Asana, SmartSheet, Clarizen. They they really fit into the category of project management, work management. But we're we're trying to uh, replace the the waste and the siloed ways of working. So pe- uh, companies who use Excel, PowerPoint, sticky notes, their the data is everywhere. What we're trying to solve is bringing all that data into one place, then using AI and machine learning to provide data driven insights. And that that essentially enables the user to make better decisions, manage their projects better. And that, that tagline of spotting problems before they happen, that's what we could do so they can eliminate those and then move forward.
0: Right. So there's a lot of modeling and, and kind of preemptive alerting and stuff like that. Is that the kind of use case for your AI or is it a bit more complicated and wide ranging than that?
1: Yeah. I mean, we have a few models focusing on things like team sentiment. So how is your team feeling towards the project? Also, uh, sort of task recommendations, so things you might be interested in, kind of like Amazon. Um, or you buy coffee, you get recommended a pot, that sort of thing. Um, we also provide like a project health score, which looks at all your tasks, all your activities, and uh, we'll provide the user with a score, and we'll sort of give them a reason as to why it's scoring like that and how you can improve it. One of the biggest things for for AI within within sort of software that we're we're using is explainability. There's a bit of a mistrust uh, with AI. And it's kind of like the, so what, like, why are you telling me this? So with explainability, we, we kind of like give the person, give the user or customers the scores, but we actually explain how we've come to that score and what they can do to mitigate it as well.
0: Yeah, but not not explaining it in too much detail and giving away your secret source, though, right? Yeah. Because that would be a tricky balance. I mean, yeah, I mean, the the company I work for, sort of my day job is is all about using machine learning and AI to, to predict trends and... Um, yeah. Again, that's something that people have other ways to do, but you know, obviously, our our value proposition is that we do it better. But it's still something that you have to really, really explain and and kind of get people to trust you. So I definitely, I definitely understand that where that's coming from. But I noticed on your profile that you've uh, recently done a data science certificate with LinkedIn. I think so. That that obviously supposes a, an interest in kind of the nuts and bolts of AI was it that kind of level of course or was it more of a kind of fundamentals that you did? And, and, and how did that go for you?
1: Yeah, I think it was really just the basics. So within within Sharktower, we have a couple of squads. Within those squads, we do have data engineers and data scientists who are a lot smarter than me, I would have to add.
0: Ours too, ours too, than than me. Yeah. Hey, I definitely feel that.
1: I kind of wanted to understand what they're talking about sometimes. And that, that was my, my reasoning behind doing the sort of fundamentals, which gave me a, a bit of a baseline towards... Understanding what they're saying and, and helping improve what we're trying to achieve as well with the art tower.
0: Yeah, when I started at, at, at my current place, we uh because I hadn't really got a, a strong machine learning background before this this this, this role. I, I I did do a bit of kind of crash course and reading a few books and trying a few online courses and stuff because it just felt like a really useful thing to do. um Yeah, I've got a tech background. I've, I've you know, worked in engineering and development for a lot of my career, so that sort of stuff. Whilst different. The, the, whilst the details were different it still felt like i could probably kind of understand it but yeah you're right it's a whole new world when you're getting into all these algorithms and models and 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 complicated concepts that once you get into them uh, actually they, they, to me they feel almost magical but at the same time you need to have some knowledge otherwise you're just not going to contribute anything to the conversation but then also i guess the most difficult thing is then to avoid trying to solution here off the back of that one article that you read. Yeah. I don't know I don't know if that's something that you've come up against well you read a you read an article about some new wording bedding technique or something like that and you're like oh yeah I should go and suggest that to all these really clever people that know much more about that than I do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I try and share articles when they come into my mailbox, but um, they probably already know half the time. <laughs> uh, I'm probably... You
0: probably vote it. They vote the article. But...
1: I'm, I'm like a year too late. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I totally agree with the, the magical term as well. When we're out in conferences and we're, we're explaining how the product works and, and like, these are the different models, we do get questions like, so how did the models work? Tell us your algorithms, and it's like kind of black box.
0: Yeah.
1: It is magic. Like. There's no other way to to explain it if you're someone like me, but yeah, it's it's difficult, um, and I think explainability really helps uh, with the customers understanding the so what side of things without revealing algorithms and things like that.
0: I noticed also that with, with with a quick Google, I noticed that that you were part of some initiative called the AI of the Possible, developing an AI strategy for Scotland.
1: Ah, yeah, good to find that.
0: There you go. Well, it was on it was on page one to be fair, so <laughs> no. I don't think yeah. I don't think the algorithms were doing that much work, but what was that all about and and how, how was that for you?
1: Um, so the Scottish government are trying to, or, or they're working through a development of an AI strategy for Scotland. So it, it was about inviting a lot of professionals from around Scotland, so professors, people who taught AI, experts in machine learning, and me, product man. <laughs>
0: and you. Uh, and, yeah, I was there. Uh, and guest. Yeah,
1: and guest Mark Graham. Um, and we were just generating a conversation around what are the fundamentals that are required for an AI strategy within Scotland. So a lot of it was around the learning and education initially because AI is a term that gets thrown around quite a lot. And it's it's, it's just two letters, AI. And it actually underlying that is a, a lot of information and reasoning and explanation around what it actually means. So I think, first of all, it's about how do we educate scottish people whether that's through schools or through businesses what ai actually is and how it can be used for good so yeah that that was kind of one of the pillars for the strategy and then another uh, side of it was within businesses and companies and organizations that wish to use ai uh, how do you standardize uh, some of the ai technologies and the algorithms that are used and again ensure that it is used for good so it was really it was great it was great being part of it and with uh, experts in the industry and discussing it so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out from the Scottish government on that.
0: So is there like a period that they're now going to go away and reflect on that and do they have like a roadmap for some outputs or is it kind of just all gone into a box and maybe you hear about it one day?
1: I'm hoping it's not here ever one day I think uh, there will be a roadmap of starting to see some communications come out and some support for, for those that need it we will be keeping in touch. It was quite frustrating, really, because uh, initially we were meant to all do it face-to-face and, you know, be together. And then the, obviously the pandemic came in and we had to do it in Teams. And there are a lot of challenges, you know, the, the technology and people accessing video conferences. You'd be amazed how, how many people don't understand how to use things like Teams. Microsoft Teams was a bit of a struggle. So, yeah, it, it was a bit of a shame that we couldn't all be part of it together. But, yeah, well, I think we'll all meet up at some, uh, at some point. Uh, and, and share our
0: stories and hear what the next steps are. Oh, that's great. And I think it sounds like a really, really strong initiative as well. Yeah. So hopefully, it will carry on in spirit, even if not in in practice. So, how is the tech scene up in Edinburgh? Then, so obviously, you you get your traditional kind of tech hubs like London and Berlin and San Francisco and stuff like that. But how is it being based up in Edinburgh? Is there like a strong tech scene up there? Is there a strong product scene up there? Obviously, the, the Scottish government are doing. AI think tanks and stuff. So there's obviously some stuff going on there, but like what's the general scene like up there?
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite thriving. There are a number of tech companies sort of building their, their base in, in Edinburgh. So we do have companies like Rockstar who do, who do a lot of gaming industry. for um, We had, we've got Skyscanner as well. They're ahead of. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And within, within even the office I work, so I work in this office in George street, beautiful views of the castle, there are quite a lot of startup companies and tech companies within there and the great thing about the office is it's very communal so you can chat to people or you can hear from, from what's happening so yeah it's, it's pretty good i would say yeah
0: that's great I and mean, yeah maybe we can all visit places like Edinburgh again one day but so you've been at shark tower for i think about 18 months yes that's right so what is the product team like there is it is it like you and uh and not many other people or is it quite a big team i know that you, you, you said that you've got a big team of developers, but but how's the product team itself?
1: Yeah, so it is a small, quite a small company, which is different from my background of working in financial services, where you have a lot of people to uh, your disposal. So yeah, the Shark Tower is quite a small company. We are a company of around 30 to 40 people. Uh, the product consists of me, product manager. Um, I've got an awesome designer, awesome engineer team. We work very closely together, which I think is important. And that's, that's sometimes missed, like uh, in, in my old jobs in financial services, you would have a separate design team, a separate engineering team, and it would be a lot more siloed. So I think we really feel the benefits of, of working as, as a small team. One of the things we do, which I really love, is whenever we have design challenges or the designers going through prototyping and wireframing it, is we get the engineers involved right then. Whereas in the past, it was like you design something, you hand it over to the engineers, and the engineers are like, what the hell is this? Like, I cannot build this. It's crazy. We went too far this time. Um, so, yeah, we're very close-knit. We work very closely together. And it's quite exciting. It's very fast-paced. So we, we do pivot and we respond to challenges quite a lot. In terms of the roadmap, we, we've got something called game changers. So where we might be focused on a specific item on the roadmap, we have a game changer that comes in and we pivot and we we, we sort of try and tackle that that problem as best as we can but everyone is bought in and everyone is everyone sold. So if this challenge comes in, everyone jumps on it and we're all we're all in it for the solution.
0: That's uh, good. It's good to have that kind of cross-functional, proper cross-functional working practice as well. That's something I think that all product teams should strive for and definitely something that I keep pushing for as well to make sure that, like you say, you kind of get everyone involved up front so that everyone knows what's going on because the alternative is passing the ball kind of from player to player and, and by the time it gets to the end, it's a different shape ball. So it's just, it's critical to get that flow of information back and forth. I think,
1: yeah, definitely. And we have um, we've got something called campfire, which is kind of linked to the whole shark tower on a beach. So I think we have a campfire where so everyone gets together in the business, and every two weeks we're we're able. It's kind of like a, a end of sprint demo, but it's modified into campfire where everyone in the business can get involved. So no matter if you're in marketing or sales, you can showcase what you've been doing. So yeah, all come t- we all come together as a company quite a lot, and gets visibility of of what we're working on, and get excited about my designer's awesome designs and the the engineer's awesome work as well.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's I mean that, that's obviously really great, and it's something that probably doesn't scale with with companies as they scale, probably. Although I do believe that yeah, you know, companies like Google will you know still push for for a lot of that sort of stuff. So. I guess there's ways to make it work, but it's something that certainly from my past in in sort of bigger companies, and presumably from your past in bigger companies as well, it doesn't feel like something always survives the transition, which is a shame.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I think having worked worked in financial services and, and big huge enterprises, you, you kind of lose that sort of family feel or friendly feel. And absolutely, I wouldn't see something like a campfire at places that I worked before. Albeit on a smaller scale, um, but yes, you kind of lose it as you scale, out, sadly.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. I'm sure there are ways to make it happen, and obviously, some of the new breed of big companies are, are pushing for it. So hopefully, there'll be kind of more management thinking about that as we got as we kind of go forward, and, and as companies scale and, and start to yeah realize the benefits of kind of keeping in touch. But it's an interesting yeah. point. So you mentioned it a couple of times about your work in sort of big big enterprises and and financial services. So my my researchers tell me and that's me by the way that you um that you started out your career you you've got quite a long career in in effectively financial services so underwriting and and lending and, and and stuff like that so that's a bit that's a bit different that's not that's not product management and it's not necessarily a traditional you know like one of the traditional routes in so how did you kind of move from that into product
1: yeah so yeah absolutely got that sort of background and i used to work in admin processing, things like that. But I always loved technology. I love trying to solve problems, improve processes. And at home, I I love gadgets. I never really thought that all of these could be combined with work. So like gamification and developing mobile apps. Luckily, I found myself landing in an e-commerce role. This was around 2012. So e-commerce was, within financial services, a bit of a a new fad. So part part of our, our team job was to promote the use of web services internally. There was a bit of a challenge during those days because the, the trust and ease, uh, the, the ease not to use them, overrode the, the actual technology itself. So, well, we actually had one guy, he had to dress up as a spider and uh, he gave out rewards to those that, that used the web instead of the back end systems. So, yeah, that, that that was kind of my first role within the sort of digital world. Then I did find myself going in, moving into digital propositions. Digital was really a separate segmented part of the business. It was sometimes an afterthought when launching new products. And at this time, I still didn't really hear about the concept of Agile. Gradually, digital transformation, that became the forefront of financial services. And I I found myself in a role as a product owner. And that's, that's, that's kind of how I got into product owner and product management was the whole rise of digital within financial services.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So in my last company, we we worked a lot for kind of financial service companies or big banks and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that really kind of sticks out is the difficulty of getting stuff because of all the regulations and the rules and, and the kind of hoops that you had to go through to get sort of certified and stuff like that. Was that a challenge in kind of a digital transformation sense? Did that hold you back? And was that maybe one of the reasons you moved out of financial services or, or was it not so bad And yeah, once it kind of got more embedded?
1: No, I totally agree. Um, anything that you wanted to do, uh, anything you wanted to release uh, on the web within digital had to be signed off by a million people. You'd have three or four marketing teams, some that owned the product, some that owned the website, some that owned the, the branding. And the, yeah, there was a lot of loopholes just to get things done. And the biggest difference between financial services and now where I work in sort of software startup is it's so quick. It's so quick to get things done. Um, however, you're sort of you face different challenges. So within financial services, you've got lots of engineers, you've got lots of designers, you've got lots of talent. And then when you move into software and startup, you've got just as equal talent, but just at a smaller scale. And it takes a little bit slow, a bit a little bit longer to get things done. But yeah, I totally agree with the financial services. It was a little bit tough to deliver the things you wanted to do, which is really frustrating for a, a product manager because all you want to do is deliver cool software.
0: And do you feel that your kind of background in financial services has kind of given you any edge in your kind of approach to, to how you're looking at things today? Because I'm sure that there are some benefits working in, in environments like that. Is that, is that- helped you or enabled you to look at things in, in a way that's brought stuff to your current role or did you basically have to kind of start again?
1: No I think it's amazing how things come around so in financial services I was working on projects and projects launching products that would go on for years uh, and, and the plans you would get from project managers and no offense to project managers
0: are great. Uh, they, they don't listen they don't listen to this it's fine. They, don't
1: listen to that. <laughs> they would email you a plan and it'd just be like I say I've, I've mentioned Excel uh, quite a lot here, but it would just be on Excel. It'd just be like dates and tick boxes. It would change all the time, and you can never keep it updated. It would all be always be saved on their hard drive, so no one else would have access to it. They they were the, they were the gatekeepers, and I thought that was a norm. I thought that was, nor- was normal. <laughs> so it came back around, and now I'm working in project management software. That I'm like, imagine I had this when I was in those roles before. So yeah, it's quite eye-opening, and things haven't changed as well. So people are still working that way. So yeah, that's why I think um, our software can really help people.
0: So you've kind of come in, and you, you know everything about the uh, you know everything about the clients that you that you used to be part of, and now you can go back and yeah, like, kind of in, infiltrate them and 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 kind of kind of go and go and go and get the get the business done.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's easier to actually outline the benefits of my product because I've learned. How, how they work so that makes conversations with potential customers or even if i'm at a conference or talking to people about the product i can kind of imagine how they're working at the moment and easily outline the benefits and, and try and solve customer pain points as well which is pretty much what we're trying to do with the product
0: exactly and another thing that comes off of that and another thing that i noticed about the kind of background of, of shark tower is it i believe it started as an internal product as part of a different company is that correct
1: yeah, so uh, originally, the, the product was built for our consultancy. So our data consultants would go out, they would help them with projects, help them with data, and they would use Tower to do so. But gradually, we started getting lots of good feedback. Customers uh, who they were going out with were asking, can we buy this software? So yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of good feedback, and the product was starting to have more and more features, nice UI. And that's why in February this year, we, we span out and we became a, a startup and not a startup because it's been very, very well incubated. So we've had a lot of user testing, a lot of uh, confirmation that uh, we're doing the right things. Oh, yeah, we, we scaled. Uh, we, sorry, we span out and became a startup in February.
0: And there's obviously the cliche about kind of back office tools, which I guess this effectively was to start with. And there's always this cliche that they don't get as much love. Yeah, you, you see the articles on Medium probably as much as I do. Yeah, that they're, yeah. yeah, they're just kind of afterthoughts or that they don't have the same care and attention, they don't have the kind of user focus and, and and this, that, and the other. It sounds like from your perspective, you were kind of taking it from that user-focused perspective from the start and you almost had a, a platform that you could pretty much take and, and move on. Is is that the case or did you have to do kind of substantial rework just to get from a kind of internally focused tool to to something that you could actually put in front of people and actually sell to them?
1: Yeah, I think the the product when when we left the other business was was actually really ready, B- just because it was internally used. We did have a few external users who were on it and, and collaborating and using it as well. So we didn't have to do too much to be honest. The the product was quite ready. What we have had to do since then is uh, as we went into sales conversations or conversations with other users, perhaps there was a couple of features or a few tweaks that we had to do. But that, to be honest, is in the nature of product management. So that helped us develop the roadmap. So it, it was actually fine and, and a good place to take out to the market.
0: That's great. It's, it's good to do that pivot and not have to worry too much about basically ripping it all up and starting again. So, yeah, it, so it sounds like you uh, you kind of got, got some payback from some, some decent earlier decisions. Absolutely. If you weren't a product manager, if you, if you had never got into product, what 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 would you rather be doing instead? I mean, and it's fine to say financial services if you want, but like have you got have you got like a passion that you that if you hadn't got into this game you would you would maybe think that you'd be doing that instead?
1: So the easy answer would be a footballer. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately I'm not good enough. But I have I actually have a real passion for design, uh UX and design. So if I wasn't doing product management, I'd love to do design whether it be for products like uh, e-commerce stuff or even designing uh, graphic design uh, illustrations, things like that. I think if I wasn't a product manager, I would definitely look into doing those sort of things. Uh, I'm really jealous of the talent uh, when I see designs. They've got a great capability of taking my thoughts and problems and just turning it into like a beautiful UI and a nice interface, which I'm always really impressed by. And plus, when, they share, when, anyone, when any designer shares something on our campfire, it's always like they get the biggest reaction off, <laughs> and as a product manager, you've got very little to share other than other people's work, yeah, so I get really jealous of of the yeah,
0: I think um i mean yeah i'm I'm probably one of the worst actual visual designers in the world, um mm-hmm. but at the same time, yeah, I think it's absolutely amazing to to be able to just craft something in it. For me, it's not just about UX designers, which obviously you know, is, is a very kind of work focused, but just anyone that can make anything that looks amazing, yeah, uh, and not and not just ask other people to do it. For me, is yeah, it's it's fantastic, yeah, absolutely. And um, if we go back to those footballers that you could have been playing with, <laughs> most footballers wouldn't be very in tune with what product management is or software development because, of course, they're off being footballers. How would you explain to one of your Imaginary teammates, what product management is?
1: That is a very good question.
0: Maybe you could use a footballing analogy to to try and help that.
1: I think it'd be almost like a football manager, surely. So a football manager has to build a strategy. They have to have a vision. Um, they don't necessarily work in um, sprints, or well, maybe they do. Sprints being running. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would you have to have to have to use a football manager analogy of of actually managing a team. I think there are a lot of similarities. Uh, you have different roles within the team. You have different people who are doing different things. You have a target. So yeah, it's actually not not that hard now that I think about it.
0: There you go. That's 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 something that we can we can take forward into the uh, the the fin- the fantastic overlap between football management yeah. and, and, and product management. I guess to be honest, these days actually in football, it seems that if we if we look back, say at, you know the the olden days when when like the, the managers had real like super authority yeah you know uh, uh, that doesn't feel quite like that anymore so so maybe actually that analogy holds up because it feels like back in the sort of the shanky days and stuff like that Mm -hmm. you're you're looking at people that you know pretty much kind of it it felt like in many ways they kind of ran the club doesn't quite feel like that anymore and it does feel like the um the football manager is a bit more of a member of a team and trying to have to kind of almost to some extent managed by influence i mean i think they have probably got more power than you traditionally assume a product manager has but they still they, they can't just tell people what to do anymore no I, so i guess it's very similar maybe
1: yeah i think we should bring some uh product management way of working into football that, that could be our next product
0: there you go that's uh that's that's the next startup what's this space um and who's your biggest business hero like all or- role model or, or anyone that you look up to and think yeah that's that's someone that i either aspire to be or at least to follow their principles oh and you can say me it's fine
1: yeah i was gonna say you <laughs> uh, i mean like the get out of jail card is elon musk like I, I love the way that that tesla go about doing the business and the way they approach problems he is a bit crazy yeah so,
0: yeah gonna say he has some baggage but yeah.
1: i know that my boss craig he, he He's probably going to listen to this, and you'll be hoping that I'm going to see him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He he can be he can be like your your, your plus one or and guest as well, though, right?
1: Yeah, Elon Musk plus Craig. uh, There you go.
0: There you go. go. That's a very diplomatic answer. (laughs) And one of the last questions for the evening would be: if you could come up with an inspirational quote, something that you would maybe tell to a, a, a younger product manager starting out, or just a younger person starting out in the world of business like maybe a lesson that you've learned or just something that you would give them as a little bit piece of advice to, to, to kind of get them on their way?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, the a very important principle for me is communication, openness uh, and sharing. I would say to any young, inspiring product manager that always communicate, always keep people up to date, uh, no matter what it is. People want to know what's happening with the product. They're, they're very excited by development, design, I think when I first started, you would maybe keep things to yourself. Maybe there was a bug. Maybe there was things that you weren't so sure of and I wouldn't tell anyone about it. (laughs) Just
0: uh, hope it it goes away,
1: huh? Yeah, just hope it goes away. But no, you you generally find that the more you communicate and the more you share, the more stories you tell, the more success stories you give uh, and admitting to mistakes as well. That that would be my advice. I, I know that's quite a long-winded statement,
0: but yeah, yeah, we 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 can we can get some uh, copywriters to, to to take over. But I think that the principle is really fair, and uh, there's this kind of, I guess, leadership principle which yeah, you know, I definitely aspire to follow. At least is the kind of concept of like total ownership. Mm. It, uh, it kind of chimes with what some of the stuff you said. Is like yeah, don't don't try and deflect. Just own it. Explain it come up with a plan and and execute it rather than spending all your time trying to defend oh, yourself yeah. because yeah. that's, yeah, that that's effort. It's probably more effort to, to continually try and defend yourself than it is to actually just come up with a proper plan and, yeah. and, and, and start it off. So yeah, I can definitely get behind that.
1: Yeah, I think it could be talk to everyone.
0: That's what I'm trying to do. What can I say?
1: <laughs> As a product manager, you, you, you talk to everyone in the business and you need to listen to what's going on uh, no matter... What it is, if it's sales, if it's marketing, if it's customer success, listen to them and share your stories as well.
0: And that's what we've been trying to do tonight. So, where can uh, people find you if they want to share their stories with you?
1: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Search for I am Mark Graham. I am.
0: Yeah, I did. I did notice the I am Mark Graham, which sounds. This is a pretty, uh, pretty, I guess, self evident, but also kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of cool LinkedIn tag. Thank you. No one's ever told me that. so just linkedin or do you have any other places that you hang out that you would talk to people
1: i'm actually one of these people who is not on facebook or or any of the social media sites
0: Mm -hmm. just linkedin just
1: linkedin so yeah please please
0: get in touch yeah i'm happy to share stories and talk i'll pop that in the description of this episode as well it has been a great chat and whirlwind tour through the shark tower landscape and, and beyond so thanks very much for sharing and let's keep in touch yeah
1: definitely
0: Thanks for listening as always. If you like this episode, we've got loads more covering a variety of topics that should be interesting to you as well, including technology, product management, product leadership, UX, diversity in tech, and, and much more. Feel free to shoot over to the podcast app of your choice and take a look and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. I'd also love it if you subscribed, rated, reviewed, and all the other good social proof stuff that, that we all know and love. Thanks very much.